Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. And today we welcome Tom Campbell, who is the creator, uh, the executive producer, and the moderator of NC Spin. Uh, I think, Tom, you told me. It's You're trying the, to say it's a one-horse show. Well, it's a one-horse show. <laughs> But it's uh, it's in its twenty first year. Is that twenty first? Yeah, that, that's incredible. And I, you know, this I want to say this early on the broadcast, and I'm going to say it several times. There is so little way to get both sides of the story today that this is one of North Carolina's crown jewels as far as the hope of the future of communicating with the citizens is programs like North Carolina Spin, and right now there's only one of them. Well, thank you. Uh, but it, it, uh, what, if you haven't watched the show, it's on UNC TV, and we'll t- tell you the times and so forth later on the broadcast. But they always have two from the conservative side and two from the liberal side, and they – Interestingly enough, they always get along, but they they state their position, and so it gives you the material to make a choice. And that's what we are missing so much today. And so, Tom, thank you for what you're doing for the state and the 21 years the program's on. And we'll talk about when the program's on and so forth a little later well, on. from you, that's a high compliment. Well, I it, it. It's, it, it's, it is really one of – it is our – right now, it is our crown jewel in the state. Well, let's talk about things because you uh, keep up with things about as well as anybody I know. And uh, right now, the General Assembly is wrestling with the budget. Let's talk about the budget for a while. Where is it, and what do you think is going to happen? Well, you know, it's interesting because I've always thought about this budget process as kind of a a dance. Uh, Now, in years past, it's been kind of a carefully orchestrated minuet. Right now, what's going on with the budgets in North Carolina is I can't tell whether it's a boogaloo or a do do or a chicken dance. I mean, it's just – it's the wildest thing I've ever seen. What happened, for instance, this past week uh, was just bizarre. In, in more than 50 years of covering politics in North Carolina, I've never seen anything like it. The, the House and the Senate each passed their own version of the budgets, as they normally do. They got together in a conference committee to iron out – those differences, which they normally do. And then they came out Monday of this week and they said, you know, we have reached a compromise, but we're not going to tell you what it is because we want Governor Cooper to make a counteroffer. Counteroffer to what? He didn't know what it was either. Uh, we want him to make a counteroffer. Well, that rested for about 24 hours. And then on Wednesday, they came back and told us what it was and said that the governor hadn't come to the table. Well, you know, th- this is not really about the budget anymore. This, is, this has gotten to be uh, a political game, and it is all being poised toward the 2020 elections. And unfortunately, the people of North Carolina are caught in the crosshairs uh, of this, this horrible dance that we're going through right now because uh, people are, are going to be sacrificed. Uh, you, you know, teachers aren't going to get pay raises. State, state employees aren't going to get pay raises for a while. Uh, some of the other uh, vital issues that need to be done are not going to be done because of the fact we've got this contest going on between the governor and the legislature. Now, the big question to me is, can the, the legislature override Governor Cooper's veto? I don't think there is. I, I would almost be willing to bet everything I own that Governor Cooper is going to veto this budget uh, when they finally pass it, as, as it is now in process to pass. Uh, So he's going to veto it, and the question is, do they have enough votes to be able to override that veto? 
They no longer have veto-proof majorities in either the House or the Senate. And, and I suspect the Senate might be able to round up enough votes to be able to overturn the veto. The House is a different matter altogether. What's going to be in play is all these uh, sort of moderate to conservative Democrats in both the House and the Senate who are going to be lobbied very, very hard to, to uh, go along with the budget. You don't want to keep your teachers from getting pay raises, do you? You don't want to keep your state employees from getting – you don't want to keep, you know, all of these things that are, that are contained in the budget. And they're going to be trying very, very hard to get their votes. It was interesting to note in the initial budget uh, vote that there were three or four Democrats in the Senate and three or four Democrats in the House who voted for the budget. Now, some of it was because, I, I believe, because of their political consciousness, consciousness and, and leanings, but some of it also is looking down the road, if you ever want to bring up a, a, a bill for reconsideration or changes after it is passed, you can't do it if you didn't vote for it in the first place. And I think we've got some placeholders in here who did that so that uh, after this veto process is over with, uh, they can make a motion to bring this back up to the floor. Uh, I've told you how to build a watch, but essentially, uh, here's what I think is going to happen. I think the budget's going to be vetoed. I don't think they're going to have the votes to overturn it. I may be surprised by that, overturn the veto. So we're going to go into uh, July – uh, with the start of a new fiscal year, uh, with no budget. However, unlike the federal process, we'll just keep spending at the levels that we were spending in uh, the, the current budget. And so uh, who knows when we might finally get a state budget passed. Uh, I have told legislative staffers to get the Halloween decorations out because they may be there then. <laughs> Well, you know, uh, talking about vetoes for a long time, we've talked about line item vetoes, and wouldn't that be convenient now? Well, it, it, it would absolutely solve yeah. the problem. Yeah. Now, it is a ceding of power by the legislature to allow a governor to have line item veto, which is why they won't allow it. Well, and of course, that's the whole basis of why we have three branches of government to begin with. But uh, Supposedly that, yeah. have three branches of government, yeah. yes. Well, it, it is interesting, and of course, uh, you know, the same thing is going on on the federal level oh. at the same time because we've got uh, uh, the same sorts of uh, discourse going on up there and the same kind of partisanship. I, I've never, you know, I, we've been around a long time, and uh, I've never seen this much um, discourse. Would you have ever thought that we would have been in this kind of debacle no. so far as government no, concerned? No, I never would have. No. I mean, you know, when when – the party in power will not listen to the other party at all. You've got a problem. And, of course, both parties have been guilty of, oh, of this. Oh, this is yeah. – yeah. And both it it part- just happens to be the Republicans right now. Yeah. Been, well, yeah. and, the, and the Democrats are doing their part to, to maintain it. They're yeah. not, you know – Throw sand in the gears. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's just um, – and this is the reason I think so many people are changing affiliations away from being a Republican or a Democrat. There are parts of both parties that most everybody sort of likes. And here's the here's the really sad part about it, Don. People are just so disgusted and so fed up with it, they're just tuning it out. Yeah. They're not paying any attention at all, and they they just say, "I don't want nothing to do with it." Well, well the other, and you can understand yeah. that, but that's not that's not good for the welfare of the country. Well, the other thing we had, and I started off the program by talking about, uh, you know, 
a civil dis, uh, discussion of issues uh, like happens on your radio program, uh, on a television program, where you discuss, uh, have Democrats and Republicans in a civil way discussing the issues. But uh, the problem we have now is there is no such discussion. And yeah. of course, you know, of course, we had a we had a court decision this week that may affect uh, all of this in some way uh, because we had so many uncontested seats in the General Assembly last time. Yeah, we've got to fix this problem with redistricting. I, I don't. I think hopefully the the and by the way, the, as you said before, the Democrats were as guilty of this as the Republicans oh, yes. have been. I and, think they admit it. They admit it. They, they do. However, I think the Republicans have raised it to an art form. Uh, <laughs> but I but I hope that everybody realizes that we've spent so much money in legal fees. We've wasted so much time arguing over this redistricting situation. There, there's got to be a way of setting up some sort of an independent or impartial redistricting process so that uh, we don't keep running into this same situation over and over again. And and I want to go back to a time where we put people on the ballot, Republicans, Democrats, independents, and, and trust the voters enough to be able to say, I like this person's ideas better than this person's ideas regardless of which party they belong to. You know, one of the sad things that we've got going on right now that bothers me a lot is this uh, almost uh, plurality of independent voters now. In many cases, it's, it is the single largest block in some counties. Well, it is. And, and they, in fact, the unaffiliated outnumber Republicans in North Carolina as far as registrations yeah. are concerned. But that's a bit misleading because you think uh, unaffiliated voters – uh, don't have a preference one way or the other. Sure if you really yeah. drill down, most of these unaffiliated vo- voters will prefer to vote a Republican ballot or prefer to vote a Democratic ballot, but they want uh, the option. I'm I'm unaffiliated, have been for yeah, some time, and, and I'll tell too. you why. Yeah. You go into the primary, and the registrar says, hey, in this primary election, you want a Republican ballot or a Democratic ballot? You get to choose, yeah. and sometimes I get to choose because there's a candidate on one side or the other I really want to cast a vote yeah. for, yeah. or a candidate on one side or the other that I yeah. really don't want to cast a vote for and want to try to help defeat. So it, it gives you that option. So it doesn't necessarily mean that they don't have any preferences. It just because you you can trace them. Uh, there are a number of Republican-leaned unaffiliateds, and you can pretty well count on them in every election, and Democrats the same way. The thing that bothers me most about the, the uh, being a registered unaffiliated, it takes you out of the election process. You are not going to be a candidate. And so we're taking about one-third of the eligible people who could serve in the General Assembly and saying there's no way for you to get elected. We have had an unaffiliated uh, representative in the legislature, but only one, one. that I know about. It's tough. And, it is very, very hard, yeah. and that's another one of the processes that I think we need to fix. Yeah, because that, that takes a third of the people out of the picture, roughly, and uh, because both parties resent a independent running on their slate. Well, yeah. and the political parties are, frankly, doing everything they can to prevent this from becoming a reality uh, because it's the last – I mean, political parties essentially are dinosaurs. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they are. We're going to take a break. Uh, we have Tom Campbell as our guest. He's the uh, uh, host of North Carolina Spin, the popular television program on WUNC-TV. And we will be back right after these messages. The entire world watched. They watched each step down the rungs of that small ladder. 
one after another and waited with great anticipation for that last step. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. At that moment, humanity saw the impossible become the possible. And today, the sky is not the limit. Achievement. Pass it on. A message from the Foundation for a Better Life. Confessions of a Potentially Perfect Parent, brought to you by AdoptUsKids.org. Okay, here goes. I know more about cooking dinner for a party of 12 than I do about packing a lunch for a 12-year-old. I know kids like things like PB&J, pigs in a blanket. Oh, and fish sticks. They do love fish sticks. Fillets I get, but sticks? What part of the fish does the stick come from? I know I can read a cookbook that'll tell me how to make a red wine reduction, but where are the cookbooks that can teach me how to cut the crusts off bologna sandwiches? Oh, maybe we can compromise on mac and cheese. Can you make that with brie? Everybody likes brie, right? You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. There are thousands of teens in foster care who would love to push your food around their plate. Call 1-888-200-4005 or visit adoptuskids.org for more information. This message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt Us Kids, and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Tom Campbell is our guest. He's the moderator of NC Spin, uh, which is on WUNC-TV several times a week, but the the first broadcast is when, Tom? Friday nights at 7.30. Uh, One of the things we like about being on UNC-TV, there are a lot of things we like about it, but being on UNC-TV, we tape on Fridays. So whereas before we'd tape a show on Wednesday and it aired on Sunday, and there were several days of delay in which – uh, news may have occurred and we might get caught with our pants down, so to speak. When you tape on Friday uh, at lunchtime and the show airs Friday night, it's about as fresh as television can get. So it's Friday night at 7.30. We do a replay of it Sundays at 12.30. And then uh, in addition to that, it's on the North Carolina channel, which uh, most people get through their cable spectrum and other cable systems. Uh, Friday night at 10 o'clock, uh, Saturday afternoon at 4.30, and Sunday morning at, at uh, 10 a.m. And, of course, you can always stream it, if you wish, uh, from our website, ncspin.com, on Friday afternoon after 5 o'clock. Well, it, it is a uh, great way to hear an honest uh, discussion of issues facing the state and the nation, for that matter. And uh, uh, it's, it's one of the few opportunities we have in the, in the state right now to get a balanced look at the news. And we appreciate all that you're doing in that Well, thank regard. you. I appreciate that. So let's look at uh, – let's talk about the uh, University of North Carolina and the, and the Board of Governors, which uh, they, they seemingly stay in the news all the time these days. Our mutual friend, longtime mutual friend, my mentor, I think he was one of yours too, Bill Friday, has got to be rolling over in his grave right now. He warned us about the problems of this, uh, this process with the university's governance system. This was uh, historically, for just a second if I can go back, when Bob Scott was trying to put together the consolidated university system, which, by the way, had a fair amount of opposition at the time, and he was going to bring all these disparate uh, universities and all of these schools together. Um, the question became how are we going to choose the governance. Prior to that time, the three universities, State, Carolina, and what was then Women's College, had 100 people on their board. And people would say to Bill, Bill, how in the world do you operate with 100 people? He said, 
it's not 100 people. It's the 100 people in North Carolina. When these folks get together to make a decision about what they want to have happen, it happens. Well, Scott, in order to get this thing through, said to the legislature, if you will pass this consolidated, I'll let you name the Board of Governors. Well, this was a bad process from the, from the beginning because it allowed them to politicize who's going to be on the Board of Governors. The only real qualification to serve on the UNC Board of Governors is that you've been able to get enough votes in the Senate or the House to be able to get elected to it. So we've gone from 32 members. We're down to 28 or 24 now. And, and this thing is just totally out of control. Um, Harry Smith was a very good business person in Greenville. Uh, he has taken control of this Board of Governors like nobody we have ever seen before. And the Board of Governors is out of control. And I don't see anybody that's willing to rein it in. I spoke to uh, Senate President Pro Tem Phil Berger, who's the one who put Harry Smith in his place uh, on the board. Uh, and I said, Phil, this, this, this process is just out of control. This, they're making decisions now. They're interfering with the operation of the university system. Their, their job is to set policy. And then now they're getting into operations and, and drove out, a, I think, a very capable, well, two, Tom Ross and Margaret Spellings. And I, I pity Bill Roper. I know you know Bill very well. Uh, he's in a very, I think, hard position to, to be able to sustain because he's got a, a board of governors operating underneath him uh, that are trying to tell him everything to do and when to do it. Well, it's uh, uh, as you know, I served on the board at, at Chapel Hill, and the first four years I served on that board, the board of governors had absolutely nothing to do with us. I mean, they they said they you did, do, but you, they didn't. They, well, they, I mean, they, they said policy, yeah. but they said you run the university. And of course, the last four years it was dramatically changed. So, uh, and they drove off Carol Fault, and, yeah, and yeah. I don't know. I mean, you knew her better than I. All the appearances I had, and all the contacts I had with her, I thought she was a very capable, competent woman. And was doing a good job. Well, she ended up with a good job. <laughs> she can thank Harry Smith for that one, can't she? <laughs> <laughs> She's got doubled her salary. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, but it is, uh, uh, you know, when anyone starts micromanaging, mic, mic, mic it's it's tough because the people on the first level know best, and yes, there has to be oversight and there has to be overview and there has to be policy and all that sort of thing. But when you go past that. Uh, and try to sort of fix things. That's where things, particularly when they ain't broken. Yeah, yeah. You know, this is uh, the university system is the envy of the country. Has uh, been, has been. I, yeah. I mean, these yeah. are the, we've always said this was the crown jewel yeah. of North Carolina. Yeah. Well, that jewel is tarnished yeah. right now. Yeah. And uh, of course, again, Berger reportedly told Harry Smith to go over there and kick over trash cans and just see what you can dig up and find and change. Well. Um, he, uh, you know, has to live with the consequences. <laughs> well, no, he doesn't. That's no. just it. I no. mean, because he, te- he told me when I talked to him about it, he said, I think things are going fine. I said, man, you're sure out of step with a whole lot of other people in North Carolina. Let's uh, change and talk about the state health plan because that's also in the news, and that affects an awful lot of people. As you know, I worked for State Treasurer Harlan Bowles uh, for some time, and he was another of my mentors and taught me probably a, a good portion of what I know about state government. And uh, at the time, we did not administer the state health plan. It had been under the Treasurer's Department before, 
And uh, the legislature, in their wisdom, Tony Rand and several in the legislature decided in their infinite wisdom that they could run it better than the treasurer could. So they snatched it away, and the legislature took it over and ran it for a while, and then finally decided, no, we really can't do a very good job of this, and gave it back to the treasurer. And I told Janet Cowell, uh, who was the treasurer at the time, I said, you are making a huge mistake. This is a big problem, and it is. Dale Falwell um, I think, is trying to correct uh, decades of neglect and negligence uh, and, and bad decisions that have been made on the state health plan. We've got a $40 billion, with a B, $40 billion unfunded liability. Promises that we've made to state employees through the years of what we're going to do for them when they retire. Now, the reality is we ain't got the $40 billion. We've got to figure out how to fix it. And Dale Falwell is earnestly trying to, to help bring that uh, unfunded liability down and to bring the, the, the health plan, which, by the way, now is operating in the black, uh, but to bring that health plan to a point where we can keep our promises to our state employees and at the same time uh, have a good uh, plan for them because – the bargain that was made with state employees for so many years, and you know this, Don, we aren't going to pay you market wages. What we will do is we will give you benefits, not only now, but when you retire, benefits that are far better than what you can typically get in the private sector. Well, we did that. We made them promises that if you work for the state of North Carolina five years, at age 65, you retire and your health, your health insurance is paid for the rest of your life. Who thought that was something that could be done? But it was a promise that we made. General Motors made, by the way, that same Same kind of promise. promise, Brought them into bankruptcy. But that this was an untenable promise. Well, we've we've tried rolling that back and stepping it back. And and the reality is it is a more realistic kind of of promise that we're making now, particularly on health care. But we've got this $40 billion that we're going to have to deal with. And Dale Falwell is trying his best. To, to try to not only uh, bring in the cost of health care, which is a major issue in in all of the United States, and at the same time uh, get this to the point where we start whittling, whittling away a little bit of that $40 billion. This latest plan that he's come up with, and, and by the way, his request to the health insurance companies and to the care providers in North Carolina was, tell us what you're charging for this stuff. I mean, where else in America do you go where you you go in to see somebody, you have no idea in the world what it's going to cost you, you have no idea in the world what your insurance is going to pay, you just go in and you blindly trust that they're going to do what is the right thing and charge you reasonable rates. Falwell says, tell us what you're charging. Well, they can't, they won't do that. And part of the reason why they won't do that is because of the fact they're charging you one thing. Because you've got one kind of health insurance plan, they're charging me another one. And by the way, if you're uninsured, you ain't the charge you're getting there is totally different from what. And then Medicare and Medicaid step into it. Uh, it is it is evidence of the problems we've got in health care in, in this country. In it, we don't have a private system. We don't have a public system. We've got a public private system, and we have evidences right now of the worst of both. Falwell's trying to fix that. The hospitals aren't going along with it. What he said to them, in essence, is, you won't tell me what you're charging. I'm going to tell you what we're going to pay. 
well, that sounds pretty reasonable, doesn't it? Yeah. They don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the doctors and the hospitals are not signing on to that. They're not particularly thrilled with that idea. Uh, they're at a Mexican standoff right now, and it's going to be interesting to see how this turns out. If I'm going to bet, I bet that Falwell is either going to win this or he's going to go down in blazes in 2020. Well, it, it, uh, he is a hard worker. Not only As that, a matter of fact, he's going to be on the program next week. And we'll let talk me tell about you something. This. Dale Falwell doesn't give a damn. I'm sorry as I can be. That's, that's the best way to say it. He's going to do – he's a forensic uh, certified public accountant. He's going to do what he thinks is, is the right thing to do. And sometimes I agree with him, having served in that department for many years. Some, sometimes I don't. More times I do. Harlan Bowles would, would think he was a, a good treasurer, by the way, uh, because he's standing up for his people. He's standing up for his constituency. Uh, but Dale's going to do what he thinks is right and to hell with the consequences. And if you don't agree with him, he'll talk to you about it, but you're not going to change his mind in all probability. Well, he, uh, he studies the issues very carefully. Very carefully. Yeah. And, uh, and of course, if you've ever interviewed yeah. him, he'll yeah. bring in a stack of papers yeah. this thick. Well, I, well, the I wish our listeners could hear about it. Dale is how he goes into great detail. I mean, he he looks at he gets into the uh, in the in, weeds, into the which weeds. is part yeah. of the problem, by the way, because yeah. the average person doesn't understand the weeds and doesn't want to hear about yeah. it. Our guest is Tom Campbell, and we have two more segments of Carolina Newsmakers coming up, and we will look forward to uh, continuing our conversation with Tom when we come back right after these messages. Adopt U.S. Kids presents what to expect when you're expecting a teenager. Learning the lingo. Today I'm going to help parents translate teen slang. Now, when a teen says something is on fleek, it's exactly like saying, that's rad. It simply means that something is awesome or cool. Another one is totes. It's exactly like saying, totally, just shorter. As in, I totes love going to the mall with Becca. Another word you might hear is jelly. Jelly is a shorter, better way to say jealous. As in, Chloe, I am like so jelly of your unicorn phone case. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will think you're, um, rad just the same. To learn more, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. The statewide Guardian Ad Litem program provides trained, independent advocates to represent the best interests of abused and neglected children in court proceedings, and they need your help. Donate a few hours each month and be a voice for local children, helping them through the court system to find a safe, nurturing, and permanent home. Rise to the challenge and become a much-needed volunteer. Call 1-800-982-4041 or visit ncgal.org. Volunteer for the Guardian Ad Litem program. Be the voice for a child. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back on uh, Carolina Newsmakers. Tom Campbell, the uh, moderator of NC Spin, a longtime friend of mine and uh, an associate and, and someone who has been following politics in North Carolina. North Carolina Spin has been there now for 21 years. How many, is, how many programs is that? This, will, uh, this week we're recording our 1,076th show. That's a lot. That's of a lot shows. of television. That's a lot of television. Yeah, I, I tell people we we've been young, we've been old, we've been thin, we've been fat, we've had hair, we haven't had hair. <laughs> we've you just about seen the evolution of uh, particularly of the regulars on the show, John Hood and Chris Fitzsimmons. You've seen us evolve over a period of twenty years. 
Well, it's a, it's an interesting concept, and it, it really does give you both sides of every issue, uh, and uh, that is something that is sort of missing. You know, we were talking about the the days of uh, Walter Cronkite and back in the days where we had three television, television networks. Station, yeah. Now what we have is people watching the channel that they already agree with. Exactly. And so they get supported in their belief, and that's probably not good. It, the best thing for people to always be is challenged, to think. I think so. Yeah. And so uh, we don't have much of that with the uh, cable news channels. People tend to uh, watch the one that they already agree with. And, you know, Ted Turner had such a great idea in 1980 uh, yep. with the cable news network. Yep. He really did. He, you know, said, give me 15 minutes and I'll give you the world. Yep. Uh, he'll tell you what's going on. We've evolved from that. And and unfortunately, and, and we talked earlier about Rush Limbaugh, uh, it's hard for me to discern how much uh, of Rush Limbaugh is entertainment and how much of it is actual political <laughs> position and, and thinking. And the same is true with our cable news networks. Uh, there's very little hard news being given to us. Instead, what we're really getting is politicizing and, and partisanship, uh, depending on, as you say, yeah. you self-select whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. Um, if you're a Republican and conservative, you go to Fox. If you're a Democrat and, and more liberal, you're, you're at CNN or MSNBC. Uh, and if you don't watch anything else but that, you don't get but just a, a, a minor perspective. Uh, curiously enough, the three major networks aren't really players anymore. No, they're really not. And, uh, and, and I, 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 we also talked about this before we went on the air. Uh, can I get in a plug for newspapers? Because I'm not a newspaper guy, and you aren't either. We, we're broadcasters. But the truth of the matter is um, I, I pity what's going on in newspaper right now. I, I, I mourn for it. And the reason for it is that the newspaper was always the place where we could go get a story in depth. And they usually covered stories that you couldn't get on television or in radio news. I talked to John Drescher, who used to be the – executive editor over there a week or so ago at the News and Observer. And John told me that when he first went to the News and Observer, they had 250 people in their newsroom. He said, you know how many there are today? Forty-five. Forty-five. Now, the other part of it is those 45 are fairly young, inexperienced. You don't have the old hands over there anymore who have historical knowledge of what has taken place. Um, and, And it's just a sad commentary. We don't need to lose our local newspapers. We do not need to lose news talk stations like WPTF. And I'll put in a plug here for you because I talk about this when I go out uh, and, and make talks to civic clubs and so forth like that. This is important, folks. We're not going to get from the big TV stations. We're never going to get the kind of news on a local level that you're going to be able to get from your local radio station or your local newspaper. And we can't allow them. I, it's just it's sad to me to think that they're going to go the ways of buggy whips. Well, it is a, it's an interesting time. And, of course, not only that, but you also then have social media beyond the uh, uh, cable channels. You have social media and Internet uh, messages. And much and, of that social media is poisoned. Don. Well, that's where the term fake news came from. I mean, it really is poisoned <laughs> yeah. because – you know, it's like Bob Schieffer told me one time, he said, when you see a, sh- a story on CBS or NBC or one of the major networks, and even in the New York Times or the Washington Post, it's been vetted by somebody. Yeah. The, the person who wrote it had it vetted and then had it edited. 
and and he said on on social media you can say anything you want you ought to I know you get this on your website the the comments that I get from people are just hateful we grew up thinking if you couldn't say something nice about somebody don't say anything at all well that was probably wrong but now it's gotten to the point where people feel like they have a license to say anything they want to using any language that they want to any time they want to and it is hateful and it's destructive I wrote a column about this a week or so ago. The column was titled, If Everything is So Good, Why is Everybody So Mad? <laughs> well, you'd be amazed at the comments I had. And I finally, after about 20, I had 50-some comments on this particular uh, piece that I wrote. And, and after it was over with, I wrote, I, I wrote to the bottom of the, the, the uh, Facebook page, I said, you folks have just proved what I thought as my premise to start off with. It's angry. It's ugly. It's mean. Yeah. Well, and, and people are frustrated, and this is the way they take it out, and uh, it it, it's it's difficult. You know, one of the things that was uh, – we've got a tremendous amount of apathy going on because people are not exposed to stuff. Uh, you and I grew up in the era where all radio stations had to carry 90 minutes yep. of news a week, and so that meant the music stations carried five minutes of news every hour. It was forced on everyone, whether they were interested And or not. did that feel burdensome to you as an operator of no, a station? No, but not only that, but it got people engaged. They did. They knew where Iran was. They knew. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, they, they knew these things, and so uh, – uh, that was part of the demise is when the FCC, FCC took, deregulated. Uh, uh, we yeah. can thank Ronald Reagan for that. Yeah. And then Bill Clinton finished yeah. it off. Yeah. So uh, we've got uh, a, a tremendous amount of apathy. Uh, people just uh, – I don't think it's true apathy. I think they really do care, but they don't know where to go to get uh, the information. The and they don't know, listen, part of all of this is they don't trust anybody yeah. anymore. Who, yeah. who do you trust? To give you news. I mean, it really, truly, who do you trust? Well, when you are involved in a newsmaking machine, uh, something that makes news, and then you see the reports, and you know what happened, and you see the reports of what happened, and there are two different stories. And so it makes you wonder, well, I really wonder what really is going on in the Far East or the Mideast. And let's say that the, the men and the women who are reporting news by and large, are good, honest, decent people who are trying to do a good job. Yes, they have some biases. There's no question about it. You can't report without having a bias. But they really are trying to do an earnest job in reporting the news. It doesn't always work out, but as many times as not, I can trust a lot of what goes on with established media. Let's uh, change the subject and talk a little bit about the 20, uh, 2020 elections that are now right around the corner. Uh, where, where do you see the federal uh, federal election going? Is is uh, uh, is uh, Trump likely to be reelected? Well, this is, I mean, irrespective of what the Democrats might want to say, this is going to be a referendum on Donald Trump, uh, and and there's no question about that. Now, the, the real question the Democrats have got to answer, in my opinion, is who can beat him. Uh, at this moment in time, if I had to bet, I'd bet it'd be Joe Biden. Uh, primarily because Joe's been through this cycle before. He's, he's seasoned. He's, he's done this. Uh, and also because I think that uh, he is a person who is electable. Not that some of the others aren't, but I think he can be. Uh, I think that's going to be the key thing uh, in, in this election in 2020. Now, I think that's going to crawl down the ballot. And here in North Carolina, we're going to see a, a replay of that to some extent um, in, in that 
Trump might have a big influence on how the North Carolina elections turn out, particularly uh, so far as uh, the the legislature is concerned and so far as our gubernatorial race is concerned. We're going to get a pretty early uh, testing of this uh, with Tom Tillis's U.S. Senate race uh, next year. Uh, uh, Tillis, uh, uh, this week, if you remember, uh, Donald Trump turned around and, and put his arm around Tom Tillis uh, and embraced him. Now, is that good for Tillis or bad for Tillis? Uh, he's got a pretty strong uh, primary uh, opponent already registered, uh, and uh, the, the far right doesn't think he's been hard enough. So, uh, And by the way, the question is, then who's going to be the Democratic nominee? And there's a field already. Um, my understanding, I'll give you a news tip, my understanding is that Deborah Ross may be getting into this race. She ran for Senate once before, if you remember, uh, against Richard Burr. Uh, I understand she might be running. Uh, Janet Cowell is being mentioned. There are several others that are being mentioned. Uh, will the Democrats beat themselves up trying to uh, get a nominee? Who knows? Can Tillis win? Who knows? We'll find out more about that um, as this election uh, turns out. Uh, I think we're just getting some information on the Supreme Court decision. Let me see this. This is a big, big news. The Supreme Court says have – the courts have no role to play in policing political districts drawn for partisan gain. Uh, the decision could embolden political line drawing for partisan gain when state lawmakers undertake the next round of 2020 census. Uh, claims of partisan gerrymandering do not belong in federal court. The court's conservative Republican-appointed majority said that voters and election officials should be the arbiters of what's so in assessments, they just kick the decision back down to the state. So unless the state comes up with some sort of independent redistricting, uh, what we got now stands. That that is a very interesting decision. Well, it's called kick the can. That's it. You got it. <laughs> kick the can. I should have just said that to start well, off with. Kick the can is always when you don't know what to do. The best thing to do is kick the can. Uh, We've done it again. Yeah. Well, uh, that's interesting. And this is very interesting because the court. The, the, the people have been look all of the United States have been looking to the court to give us some guidelines as to what does or doesn't constitute fair uh, redistricting. Uh, this court just essentially said, hey, we ain't getting into that. <laughs> you guys figure it out for yourselves. Well, there, there have been times where some other people didn't get the can and wish they had, but that's aside from the point. <laughs> Our guest is Tom Campbell. We've got one more segment of Carolina Newsmakers coming up. Tom, of course, is the moderator of NC Spin, and, of course, we're recording the program prior to its air, and that's the reason that news we're recording it on Thursday afternoon, Thursday morning, and that's when the news just came in. So we'll be back with one final segment right after these messages. In small towns and big cities, from coast to coast and around the world, Habitat for Humanity volunteers gather with purpose. Hand in hand, they come together. They may be strangers or they may be friends, but they are all builders of hope and homes. Hammers are raised, bricks are laid, dreams take shape, and another family finds shelter in a home they help build. Through their time and talents, Habitat for Humanity volunteers are helping change lives for the better, and in the process, maybe even changing their own lives as well. 
Together we can eliminate substandard housing. Won't you join us? Support the work of Habitat for Humanity in your community or wherever your heart leads you. Now more than ever, please volunteer, get involved, and help build it. Visit us at Habitat.org. When we get old, will you take care of me if I can't get around anymore? Of course. We'll find a way. Are you going to take care of me if I can't see anymore? I'll read to you every day. And if one of us gets Alzheimer's disease, what then? Call 1-800-437-2423 for a free booklet on caring for your loved ones from Alzheimer's Disease Research. 1-800-437-2423. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. And welcome back to the final segment of Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week is the moderator of NC Spin, Tom Campbell. We've talked about the program several times. NC Spin, of course, is on UNC TV uh, weekly on several time periods. If you'd like to know when, you can either go to the program schedule of UNC TV or ncspin.com. That's correct. And find that out. Uh, NC Spin, a, a very interesting program. They always have two conservative uh guest and two liberal guests and they are always uh, discussing each issue and giving their views and is, is a good way to get a balanced look at what is going on in and if i can uh, do a shameless self-promotion well you we're can gonna, this this week's show is going to be really interesting because we're going to be talking about that court decision that we just talked about and in addition we're talking about the budget process and then we're talking about some interesting census bureau information you know north carolina is getting older well, it is, and of course, this is a popular place for people to retire. And so, not only are we getting growth with the young people, but we're also getting growth because it's this is a great state to live in. When you and I were working together here at WPTF years ago, the average, the median age in North Carolina was twenty eight point four or something like that. You know what it is now? Thirty eight point three. Now, this is okay. Admittedly, a number of years later. And yet, the the truth of the matter is, we're getting older. Well, and of course, people are living longer also. That's another factor that gets into that because of uh, better health conditions and so forth. And so uh, there's all sorts of factors playing into that. But it is true, and it will continue to be true. And, of course, North Carolina is now, what, the eighth largest state? Yeah. And then you get in – I mean, I I just did a thing for the Raleigh Chamber of Commerce this past week. Uh, and, and a guy from the Federal Reserve, the Charlotte uh, branch of the Federal Reserve, came and talked about North Carolina's economy. And, and the question everybody was asking is, are we headed for a recession in 2020? And his answer was very, very interesting. Uh, he said, there are some signs right now in the economy that are a little concerning, a little, little concerning. But he said, if I had to bet, I'd say that we are not going to have a recession in 2020. Furthermore, uh, if anybody's going to survive and thrive during this, it's going to be North Carolina and especially the Raleigh area. Well, the uh, you know the this I think we have finally found ways to balance off, and of course there was great lessons learned in the last deep recession that we had. Hopefully, we, we learned a lot of lessons during that that I think will along be remembered, and that may save us from having anything close to that kind of recession if we have one. Uh, you know, it is an economic cycle. I mean, it's, it is. Yeah, it is. There's going to be. But, he's, but he said this is really interesting. He said, you know, good economies don't just die. They're murdered. He said there's always been something. The Arab oil embargo. Yeah. The, the housing crisis. Yeah. I mean, think about it. There's always been something that has triggered 
the downturns yes, and the recession. Yeah, and yeah. he said, what we at the Fed look at is what are the triggers? What are the things that we can see? Uh, he had a very interesting talk. I'm going to be doing a column on it soon, and, and as well as having him on my show, uh, because uh, it's good data. And, you know, we can sit around and talk about and politicize and think about, theorize uh, things as long as we want to. It, it's helpful to have some actual hard facts occasionally. Yeah. One of the things, I, I didn't have this on my list to talk about, but because uh, uh, Sanders has made a case of this, what do you think about this uh, proposal to eliminate student debt? I mean, student debt is clearly a problem. It, it's a major problem, and there's no question about it. But I don't see how, it, first of all, why, why choose students? And, and by the way, the student debt is really a symptom of the fact that higher education is costing too much. We've got to figure out how to deliver higher education at a lower cost. And Margaret Spellings, we talked about her, was really into that and was really trying to do something about that, as was, by the way, Carol Fold at UNC. Uh, the, 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 the thing that we've got to do is to figure out how to help Keep when you're when you're a young person and you're starting off with eighty thousand dollars in the hole. You you're starting a new job and you're eighty thousand dollars. It's hard to climb out of that. Yes, hole. it is. However, students are no different than people who've bought homes or people who've bought cars or people who have run up credit card debts. Why pick them to relieve their debts and not everybody else? That is problematic, and I'm not sure I think that can happen. And of course, the best way, or a way to, a way, I'm not going to say it's the best way to put money in people's hands is to cut taxes and then they have more money to pay off debt. Assuming that they pay taxes to begin yes. with. And that's, that, you know, that becomes an issue also. How do you cut taxes from people like a student who's probably not paying any taxes? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's an interesting thing. Well, Tom, we've got about uh, four minutes. And so, what is your projection of what we're going to see in the news? Uh, let's take the state level first in the next uh, 60 days. Well, I think the, the budget is going to be big news in North Carolina. This this redistricting decision that we've talked about, I think, is is going to reverberate. I'm, I'm not sure. It, it's really going to toss it back to the legislature and to uh, the partisans as to what are we going to do about having uh, politicians who are chosen by the people and not politicians who choose their own electorate. Uh, and that's a big issue in North Carolina, and it's, it's definitely one we've got to fix because as long as we've got uh, a situation in which, uh, for instance, if you run in the city of Raleigh as a Republican, your chances of winning are just not very good uh, because of the fact that uh, it's, it's, a, uh, it's, it's largely a Democratic plurality now in, in Raleigh and Wake County. On the other hand, uh, if you're out in Pitt County and you're a Democrat, you don't stand much of a chance. I, I'd like to see this again become a time when the party was less important and the persons, what they stood for, what their platforms were, uh, became an issue. Uh, I'm not sure I see that changing anytime soon. I think that the political climate in North Carolina, I don't see it getting any better anytime soon, and, and that's sad to me. I think we're still going to be having the fights between Governor Cooper and the Republican legislature. Uh, I think Trump is going to be a very big influence uh, on how things go in this state over the next few months. Uh, I've never seen anybody who, who, frankly, just polarized people so much. I mean, uh, you essentially have white males 
who just think he hung the moon, and he's like a Pied Piper to them. I mean, they just follow along behind him, anything he says. Uh, on the other hand, you've got the, the, the people, and I'm not able to read how large that is, who just say, anybody but Trump. I'd vote for my dog before I voted for Do- Donald Trump again. Or, or, or ever. Uh, how large is that? I think we're going to see a sorting out of that uh, over the next few months. Uh, we're going to be seeing a lot of these national candidates coming into our state. Because we moved our uh, uh, presidential primaries and our uh, gubernatorial primaries to March 8th of next year, they're going to have to start filing in December. We're going to see these people coming into North Carolina in droves. Uh, and so it's going to be interesting to see. We're going to be a player in the, in the game yeah. nationally. Yeah. So we're going to see some of that taking place. Um, those are the big things I'm looking at. Well, uh, it's going to be interesting to watch all this happen. And, uh, of course, as you said, uh, uh, the court decision this week also brings that back as a, as a huge hot issue. Topic. Yeah, very hot topic. Well, you've sort of left me with an awkward amount of time because I don't have enough time to give you a question that you have time to answer. So let me just thank Tom Campbell, who is the producer of NC Spin, and I want to. Uh, I'm, my my plug for your program is not shameless; it's honest. It's one of uh, North Carolina's real opportunities to find out about the real facts and the issues of the state, and it's on UNC TV. You can find out more about it by going to ncspin.com. That's Tom's website, or UNC TV. Can I say something in closing? You and I have been friends for a long time. I admire you. I appreciate you. And thank you for what you continue to do for our state. Well, you're kind to say that. Our program has been produced by Jason Kong, who will have another interesting, as a matter of fact, I think it's going to be Dale Falwell next week. And we will look forward to having you with us at that time. So the next week on the same group of stations all across North Carolina. By the way, you can hear a repeat of this broadcast by going to carolinanewsmakers.com. Well, I'll have you back next week. Have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.